Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on core temp arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to Podstalgic. This is a movie podcast where we take a nostalgic trip and rediscover movies new and old. And for this episode, we are doing a brand new release. And joining me for Ready Player One is my son, Phoenix. Hello, hello. Uh, Phoenix Returns. Uh, obviously, this uh, show started off as a father and son podcast. And once in a while, Phoenix joins in uh, on some movies. And so, uh, yeah, we thought, or uh, I thought that it'd be interesting to have Phoenix come um, on for this one because this movie is uh, a trip back to my childhood and and see if you know there's anything that he picks up in pop uh, pop culture and um, see if he gets any of those references or anything like that. Uh, this movie is directed by Steven Spielberg and it stars uh, Ty Sheridan who plays the lead uh, Wade. Uh, we also got Olivia Cook who plays Samantha. I want to keep some of the other names. Uh, a little bit of a secret, uh, just because we're going to start off with a, a non-spoiler review. Um, and also Simon Pegg plays, uh, Ogden Morrow, who is one of the founders of, uh, Oasis, or is he one of the founders? He's like a partner, right? Yeah, he's one of the partners of Oasis. Okay. And, uh, Mark Rylance plays Holiday. He's the one who came up with, um, uh, Oasis. They're very much like Steve Jobs and what was his name? Wozniak or something? I have no idea. Well, you know, they found Apple yeah. and um, Steve Jobs got all the attention for it. Uh, and, uh, you know, why not? T.J. Miller, uh, he plays I-Rock, uh, who's kind of a kind of a heavy in this one. He's not like the bad guy, but he's a heavy, uh, I would say. Yeah, he's just kind of some like henchman that's kind of there for laughs. Yeah, he kind of is. Okay, so we're going to start off with a non-spoiler review for those that uh, haven't heard our show before. And then, you know, uh, I'll play a trailer or something to give you guys a break, to give you a chance, um, you know, to pause the episode if you have not yet seen it. Uh, but let's start off with expectations. Uh, for me, I didn't have really high expectations, but I am. I am a huge Back to the Future fan. And so when this movie was coming out, people were tagging me in all types of Facebook posts. And so... You know, it's not a Back to the Future movie, and I didn't like how they trashed uh, the, the the DeLorean in the trailer. But hey, you know, it's it is a movie uh, also based on a novel uh, of the same name, I believe. Um, neither of us have read the novel, so we're not gonna make any comparisons to it. And I know Steven Spielberg; he has said himself that he was going to be removing a lot of his own properties um, that were mentioned in the book. But expectations, I. I just hope that it was going to be fun. I know that all of the nostalgia references from the 80s and 90s were going to be directed at people, you know, around my age. And I got that. You know, I had a lot of fun uh, with this movie. Um, I thought, you know, it's two hours and 20 minutes and... I don't think I felt it dragging. Um, I think the pacing was really good. I mean, this is Steven Spielberg. He is the director you think of when you think about our childhood, whether, you know, it be horror movies, um, adventure movies, your in- Indiana Jones, your, um, you know, Goonies. He didn't direct that, but, you know, he, uh, produced it at least. And, you know, along with Back to the Future, all three movies, he also served as producer. So I think he was the right guy for the job. Um, you know, I'm going to forget that, uh, Kingdom Skull, uh, Crystal? Crystal Skull? Yeah, yeah. see, I, yeah, I forgot, I forgot the title. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to forget that happened. Um, but it's okay 
to like Steven Spielberg again. Uh, I think, I think this, uh, movie was a lot of fun. Um, IMDb currently has it at an 8.1. I agree with that. I think an 8 is right there. Uh, I think this movie, I definitely want to go watch again in the theater because of so many Easter eggs. Um, but Phoenix, what about you? Um, you know, expectations going in and what you thought about the movie? Yeah, so first seeing this trailer in the movie theaters, I wasn't really too excited about it. I mean, it looked really cool. There was an Iron, Gi- Iron Giant um, just running around, smashing things. So I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, to me, this movie was like a perfect blend of what our show used to be about, which was looking back at some of the movies that made you feel um, nostalgic or... Uh, part of your childhood and seeing how I would feel about him. This uh, is set in the future, but it's very heavily based on the 90s and 80s games um, and pop culture references. So that was, it's really cool to see all that happen. Yeah, this movie is like the definition of what Paul Stoutchik is. Uh, Steven Spielberg and the the writer of the book, um, Ernest Klein, what they did with this, you know, the with the movie and the novel they, they took the readers and the viewers on a nostalgic trip. That's what we try to do here at Podstalgic with reviewing movies that, you know, I grew up watching. I hope that the, the listeners, you know, um, go back and check out some, some of the, uh, the movies that we have reviewed. And we'll go over some of those that we reviewed that were also kind of referenced in this movie. Um, but this, this movie, it couldn't have been any more for for me, uh, if if that makes any sense. I, I think this was geared at people exactly like me. Uh, I loved this movie. I had a great time. Um, and the trailers, the trailers also featured a lot of songs I grew up listening to. Uh, for those that you know have listened to Postalgic for a while, may remember uh, that last year, I think around March, because the theme was um, you know March Madness, and we do brackets, and I did a bracket with uh, 28 songs from 80s movies. So anybody that likes 80s movies and music, that might be an episode for you. Um, so for new listeners, that might be uh, a pretty good one to listen to. So. The other thing that I really enjoyed about this movie was that it was scored by Alan Silvestri. Uh, for those that do know, he also scored all three Back to the Future movies. And though these are original music, it's very Alan Silvestri. Anybody that grew up watching Predator and all that, it sounds, you know, he has a very, um, he has a specific cadence to his music. And so when I heard the music, I immediately thought it was him. And also, I, I think with the, the Back to the Future tie, uh, in, I mean, the DeLorean, I think it was only right to have Alan Silvestri score the music. And so I thought that was really good too. I don't know, Phoenix, did, did you get like a Back to the Future feel at all? Yeah, it was, there's definitely a vibe to that that just reminded me, hey, yeah, this is, uh, there's a lot of references to Back to the Future. So obviously there should be a, a good soundtrack that sounds like Back to the Future. Yeah, that was the other thing too, which we'll get more uh, into spoilers. Uh, so some of those nods and references uh, to some of the other movies. So um, I think I think that's all we got to say for for our non-spoilers for now. Hopefully, you know, if you haven't seen the movie and wanted to hear what we thought, um, I think it's safe to say that we both recommended the movie. Yeah, for sure, highly recommend. Highly recommend. So we both, uh, you know, I loved it. Um, also, do not stay until the end. There are no mid or end credits. So I think people have gotten wise and they Google that beforehand, which we probably should have done too. But uh, we're, we'll say it now. There are no mid or end credits. So once the movie is over, go ahead and walk out. Um, 
So at this point, if you have not yet seen the movie, we're going to get into spoilers. So they'll give you the chance to pause the episode, watch the movie, and come back and hear what we have to say uh, about the rest of the movie. In 2045, reality is a bummer. But we could go somewhere without going anywhere at all. The Oasis. But the Oasis is in trouble. It's a war for control of the future. This is actual life and death stuff. Go, go, go! Are you willing to fight? Ready Player One in cinemas March 29th. Experience it in 3D. Book tickets now. All right, and we are back again. For those that are listening at this point, either you've seen the movie or you don't care about the spoilers. So, um, you know, I, t- I took some notes in the movie theater. We're not going to go like scene by scene or get uh, very in depth, but uh, definitely some things that we want to talk about. Um, I think we'll we'll try to save like the references and stuff. Um, you know, the Easter egg stuff at, at the end. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie again is directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, some of his you know trademarks. You get a lead character with. Uh, you know that comes from a broken home or an absentee parent or something like that uh wade wade has neither of his parents and i think he's living with like one of his aunties uh and some deadbeat boyfriend of hers Mm -hmm. they live in what's called the stacks in uh, columbus ohio and they don't outright say it but you see visually like the the stacks you can see why it's called that right but it's, it's a bunch of car graveyards mm-hmm. you know and i think it's kind of cool so what do you think uh of the look of 2045 in columbus ohio well i see you have it written down but it definitely gave me robocop vibes um it's, it looked like a dystopian detroit basically which is what robocop is yeah, it, yeah, actually, um, now that you mentioned that, I kind of see that too. Uh, I wrote down Robocop because I saw Robocop. Oh. <laughs> so that's what that was. Uh, but I like the idea that in 2045, that not just in Columbus, but everywhere around the world, presumably, that there's just running out of space. And so they just start stacking you know, um, uh, trailer homes and vehicles on top of each other because there's just nowhere else and people are making, you know, their homes out of those, uh, those spaces. And also those spaces are, uh, you know, kind of individual rooms to people, for people to kind of play in, right? This, this future, everybody's plugged in now, you know, in, uh, to all types of video games. So that's what the world has become. So I, I, I kind of dig that. You know, I, I do, I am interested in the book for sure. So the Oasis is a game that uh, a lot of people are plugged into. What do you think about this game and the hunt for Holiday's uh, Easter egg? So again, Holiday is the guy who created the Oasis. Um, and everyone kind of lives as an avatar inside the Oasis, which I thought was kind of cool too. Yeah, I thought it was a very... Um, surreal. Yeah, very surreal image to see all the game characters come to life. And they even, yeah, it's real life. And they even used characters that were from recent games. Like I saw the Arkham Knight. Um, they used the actual character designs. I saw Harley Quinn sitting down, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the newer Michael Bay movies. Uh, and, um, you know, it's just, it's great seeing them all walking around, uh, in different ways. Like I'm sure it was great seeing the DeLorean in actual action. It, it kind of was, you know, and now that you bring that up, and I, I kind of forgot this, uh, though I love the idea of using the DeLorean because that's so, it's so 80s, right? I mean, you know, there's other vehicles too. I know we were going to try to wait for the end, but uh, some of the other vehicles that I did notice, uh, they had the 18 van. Um, I don't, 
I didn't, I didn't see Knight Rider. I, I feel like that's something that should have been, um, you know, featured or at least shown in there as well. There was all types of vehicles, but the DeLorean, it's widely known that it's a very unreliable car. Uh, obviously it's customized and it's inside a video game, so you kind of forgive it. Uh, but I did appreciate him. Um, you know, converting the, the wheels, you know, horizontally to kind of hover. Uh, so that was really cool. And I wish he, he did a little bit more, but, um, when he came back later on, I completely forgot that that was a thing. And so, uh, yeah, that's Wade's, um, vehicle choice. So, uh, I dig that about him. Um, the thing I like about the, the hunt for holidays, uh, Easter eggs, right? So there's three keys that are hidden everywhere. Um, I just like the setup of it, you know, like it's an actual video game and I like the story behind it, uh, about the creator, he, him dying and wanting to leave, you know, the game and all, all of its glory to, to the, to the person who essentially beats the game. It's very Willy Wonka, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I did read something that, um, Steven Spielberg, you know, before Gene Waller's passing, he actually asked, you know, if, if he would play as Holiday, which he declined. Yeah, it's very it's very tragic to see that uh, Gene Wilder could have played this um, billionaire invest inventor, but I think this casting choice was a pretty good idea too. Well, not not a good idea, but I think it was good casting. I, I thought it was good casting too. I, I kind of already forgot the the actor's name, but I thought he was very funny. Uh, I thought his lines were all great. Uh, there's there's one point where I think it was the second, no, it was the third key when he got the third key, and you know Wade's in the van, and it's you know um, they're being sideswiped from both sides, and in the video game, the holiday. I don't, I don't what, what is he? What's his name in the in the game? The, I, I don't remember, but he, yeah, he's a wizard. He's some sort of wizard, you know, and Wade can't reach the key. He's just like, do you want the key or not? You know, mm-hmm. so I thought that was really funny. There's some uh, really good comedic lines in there. I didn't think the movie was like cheesy or anything like that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Artemis and what I loved about her. She, you know, she's the love interest. Uh, we don't get to see what she looks like until maybe close to halfway through the movie, but she's a strong and capable young woman. Um, you know, something that's, uh, in a lot of, do I want to say a lot of, uh, 80s movies? I mean, I think of like James Cameron movies, you know, there's some references to Alien and Aliens, uh, in this movie. So I thought of her as like the Ripley type, you know, she's just very strong and, and capable. I mean, I'm just repeating myself, but, uh, I thought she was a great character and, um, I didn't try to look like too far into who was casted as what. And so, a bit of me actually did think that she might have been like a two hundred guy, a two hundred pound guy named Chuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a great um, choice to make her such a strong woman too, because you know, movies coming out these days, you got a lot of strong female characters coming out, and just she was just a perfect fit for this film. Yeah, I I, I, quite, um, I liked her quite a bit, and not only just her, I liked the supporting cast members. Again, I don't know how close this is to book uh, to the book in terms of the casting. But you also have two Asian characters in there as well. Um, uh, you had, uh, my, my little man show, you know, probably supposed to be like short round from the Indiana Jones, aka, uh, data from Goonies. You know, he's 11 years old and there's a line saying that he's like the, the youngest badass or something like that, you know, so I, that, that really hit me. You know, um, I really appreciated seeing people like us on screen and not only just one, but two of them. So I think, Again, I, I don't know, you know, if these are the same characters from the book, but it was really nice to see 
um, you know, two Asian characters, you know, even if it was supporting. So if Steven Spielberg can cast, you know, Asian characters, I don't see why other movies can't, you know, that seems to be a problem right now in Hollywood. Uh, but I really did appreciate that. And it just took me back to like data, aka short round. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other guy's name was like, um, Dai To or something or Daido? Yeah, sounds about right. Now, but, uh, show the 11 year old kid, was he supposed to be like a, Scorpion or something? Yeah, I don't know. I saw the movie poster and it looked a lot like Scorpion, but looking at it further in the movie, it it wasn't exactly Scorpion, but I think it was just a customizable character because none of these characters, the main characters, they weren't actual other avatars. They were their own personal like people you know what i mean yeah it was weird because the other asian guy he had like a mortal Kombat sticker on his suit you know so it kind of threw me off a little bit but uh i mean he's got the the, you know the right accents and um you know i think at one point scorpion does have two uh two katanas um okay so let's uh there there's one thing that i really appreciated that they included in here one of the special was it weapons or something like that is called a Zemeckis cube. Oh yes, uh it's it's called a um they 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 say it. Um it's like a it's not a tool, it's not an artifact. It's um it's a power up. Okay. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's pretty cool and what that does is it makes uh everything go back 1 minute. And you know, for those that uh know back to the future, they know that the very first time that Doc Brown simulates a uh a time travel experiment, Einstein goes back 1 minute you know, or goes into the future 1 minute. So um I mean, it's you know, the the chicken or the egg kind kind of deal, right? Mm. Uh but yeah, it's it's 1 minute, so it's uh, very fitting that they call it the Zemeckis cube. Um so when he meets Artemis for the very first time in person. What did you think about that? I was completely thrown off. Um, I didn't expect her to be um, appearing in the movie so soon, so sudden. And, um, you know, it was just a very interesting way for them to meet. It kind of was. Um, I Is she from Columbus, too? I, I missed that part. Uh, well, they mentioned that they were, like, right next-door neighbors or something like that. I believe... I, I can't tell because they also seem to be right next to the, um, what was it, IOI building? Yeah, but I feel like there's a, a bunch of those locations kind of all around. It does seem a little inconvenient that, you know, they are kind of close by Artemis or Samantha in this case and Wade, which is fine. You know, it just makes their world seem a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, but the IOI that you talk about, that's another, you know, and I don't want to keep crediting Steven Spielberg because this is based on a novel, but like a lot of Spielberg movies, let's say E.T., for example, you know, there's this uh, government or this agency that are, you know, trying to, you know, they're the bad guys, right? So mm-hmm. that's kind of what IOI is here, too. And um, I don't know the, the the actor's name offhand, but the the bad guy, right, who plays, um, was it Nolan? Is Was that his name? Sorrento. Sorrento. But I, uh, I was trying to remember his first name. But, but the guy who plays Sorrento, the bad guy, uh, I feel this might be a choice in casting, but he reminds me a lot of the, I don't, I don't know if it was like vice principal, but the teacher, the teacher from Breakfast Club. Did, did you ever see that one? I haven't seen Breakfast Club yet. Okay. So in Breakfast Club, you know, it's about these teenagers who go to Saturday detention and there's one staff member that is there the entire day and he looks exactly like Sorrento. Mm-hmm. And so I feel, you know, 
I think that was on purpose. That's just my opinion, but I could be wrong. Obviously, there's a lot of things in here that tie to one another, uh, which we'll kind of get into. Um, any other thing you want to point out in the story or talk about in the story before we start talking about some of the references? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I haven't, I didn't really see many trailers. So they brought in the, uh, the shining as a setting in this movie. And that com- threw me completely off guard, which I absolutely loved because it's, um, I wasn't expecting to see such an iconic movie like that in a uh, video game based novel slash movie. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's because that's just written by Steven Spielberg and you had a lot of his movies, you know, or a lot of his novels that were turned into books, uh, including novellas. And hey, here's some of my shameless plug here, but I've also covered uh, Stand By Me, which was a movie I, I wanted to show you at one point. Um, but I did that with a friend of the show, Gerald, uh, from Two Peas on a Pod. And we covered that when Stephen King, um, Stephen King's It, you know, the remake came out, which I also did. So uh, Overlook Hotel, that was definitely a surprise for me, too. And that does become a setting for their second key, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I like about that is because uh, um, that takes place uh, near us. So we're from Oregon, Portland, mm-hmm. Oregon, and Overlook Hotel is not very far. Mm-hmm. Um, Overlook Hotel, I don't know exactly if it's fictional, but it was filmed at you know uh, at you know near Mount Hood. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a, it's a real place to us, but Overlook might be uh, a fake name. So 237, you know, that's obviously a reference from within the movie, which mm-hmm. was also the title of one of the documentaries, I think it was. So, um, I thought that was really cool, uh, which we also kind of, uh, did not mention H, uh, which is a, uh, another great character. She's kind of the, um, the, uh, the comedic relief. Now, were you surprised she was a woman? Uh, kind of. Like, when I first saw him slash her, I was kind of like, oh, um, she's talking about how misleading people can be. She's, he is probably not this big buff character, like, how he portrays himself in the game. So he's probably, probably a woman. Uh, I, I knew it was a woman because the voice was so disguised. Mm-hmm. Like, it was modulated. Like, yeah, er- everybody yeah. else had their own voice, and H was the only one with the, uh, with a really fake voice. So I, I had a feeling that it was a woman. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Overlook Hotel, I thought that was a really good scene, uh, as well. Um, let's talk about some of the other scenes. Uh, there was a, a brief one over at the Holiday Library. Well, what is, what is that place called? Oh, that's his uh, his memories center. I, I don't know the official term. Okay. So there was a scene where um, Wade, he goes back to that place. And, you know, now he's already got the first key. He's very popular. And Goro from Mortal Kombat, you know, try, tries to save him, protects him, takes him into this uh, little room, you know, to protect him from all the other people. And then, like, his chest bursts out, comes an alien from Alien. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it ends up being... Uh, uh, Archimus, Archimus, Artemis, Ar- Artemis uh, aka Samantha. So I thought that scene was great just because you got Mortal Kombat. It turns into an alien movie. And mm-hmm. then, uh, but that was just a great reveal that it ended up being her. I think, uh, I think the audience uh, enjoyed that quite a bit, actually. I mm-hmm. thought that was really good. Um, some of the other people that, uh, I noticed. So I did notice Robocop uh, is somebody's avatar. This is right before. Wade goes into the actual oasis. Like, this is kind of like, you know, like in the Wii, you know, where everybody's me is just walking around. Right. Yeah, it's like in one of those scenes. And so uh, I saw 
Robocop. I saw Doc Brown. Mm-hmm. He was wearing uh, his outfit from Back to the Future 2. So it's yellow with the red shirt. Uh, so I saw him. Saw Goro, obviously. We saw Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Who else did you recognize? Uh, I recognized... Did you did you see like the new version of Joker? Because you mentioned Harley Quinn. I did. Yes, I saw um, him too. I they were sitting him. together. Yep. I feel well. They're they're dancing together. Yeah, uh, that's what it was. In the, yeah, in the club. Um, there's there's so many characters. I can't even like think of them all at the same time. I've done the Batman movie. Uh, if anyone's interested. Yes, there was the actually there was the Adam West vehicle also that was in ah, the race. That's right, the 1966 mm. Batman vehicle that was there. Yes, and the um, just so, speaking of that race, let me jump in real quick. Um, there there's. Uh, a really big obstacle on that very first race, which is uh, King Kong. And that's very, um, you know, if anyone's been to Universal, either Studios or World, you know, no, I, I think it's both. Anyway, any of the Universal Studios, you go on that tour ride and then you get, you know, you have an encounter with King Kong. It's very much like that. So I thought that was kind of cool, too, because Spielberg hasn't done King Kong, to my knowledge, anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, King Kong was a definitely a big factor that I completely forgot about. I didn't think he'd be this big in the game, um, pun intended. But it was very interesting to see King Kong interact with these players. Uh, one another thing that I noticed, and this could be me, it might be reaching a little bit, but the IOIs, you know, their, their cage where they have like the people locked up. Because uh, Samantha, she's locked up at one point, and they have to wear these special helmets. The helmet, very much like the Robocop helmet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So with the IOIs, they're uh, they're stuck in these cages. They're um, controlling all these characters. Um, it just I couldn't stop thinking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I don't know if you haven't seen that yet or not. But I didn't like it. Yeah, you didn't like it. It's okay. But there was a scene where uh, you could see the the Guardians being chased by these golden people, and surprise, surprise, they're just being remotely controlled. And that's what this reminded me a lot of. Mm, yeah. Well, this is uh, definitely a much better movie. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Who else did do we see? Um, the, there's a scene where they're in a club. I enjoyed it. I wish I could attend a club like that, or even if it's in uh, virtual reality. Uh, but they do a staying alive uh, moment, you know, where where they're dancing. Again, this could be reaching, but it uh, reminded me very much of Short Circuit, where he has a similar scene where he's dancing with a young woman th- that I also covered. Yes. No, yeah, I'm just throwing it out. Okay. All right. What are some of the uh, um, other references? Um, anything? I'm sure there was some Spielberg stuff. Iron Giant. Um, yeah. There was the oh, uh, the T Rex. Oh, yep. It was yep. on the it was on the racetrack for a little bit. Um, um, I saw some Battletoads. I don't think you're familiar with that, but there was an animated series and a video game called Battletoads, and they looked pretty good too. It was also, uh, I think they came up twice, but the second one where you get to see them more was, uh, the big uh, epic fight at the end where you also saw the Michael Bay's, uh, Ninja Turtles. Yes. Yeah. There was, uh, there was just lots of different incarnations of different characters. That Halo. Oh, yes. The Halo Spartans. They were, they were all over the place in this movie. That was great to see. One thing that I got a kick out of, um, you know, for, for my generation, I, I really appreciated that IOI try to get like all these young people to play old ass video games, you know, like on Atari's and, and failing, you know, those games, they, they look like crap, but they're not as easy as, you know, maybe your generation would think. Um, there's, yeah, there's definitely a, a rhythm 
to playing that stuff, you know, and dying over and over and over and playing the same levels over and over. You have to kind of build like this muscle memory uh, in, in, in playing those. So I appreciated that, that like somebody young can just, um, you know, get through it. And lo and behold, it had to be somebody who appreciated that era, you know, Wade Watts, mm-hmm. um, you know, had a he had, you know, this vast knowledge of everything about this uh, holiday character. Not only that, he seemed to know, you know, the 80s and 90s pretty well, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very entertaining to watch him puzzle the pieces together to find this golden Easter egg, which everybody's been hunting for for about uh, five years. Yeah, and I also, I'm glad that, you know, not just one person was able to come up with any of the clues. They all needed each other. And that kind of goes back to, you know, some of these other adventure movies from, from my childhood. Again, kind of referencing Goonies. Yeah, and um, it just, I feel like this could be another classic movie, like way out in the future. I think so. Um, speaking of classic, we got some classic horror uh, slashers as well. You know, we got to see Freddy Krueger, the new new Freddy Krueger, and also Jason Voorhees. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, they used the uh, Jason Voorhees from Mortal Kombat X as the slow fighting style. They used the Freddy Krueger from Mortal Kombat 9 as the DLC character. They also threw in Chucky for a few seconds, which was absolutely hilarious. That was cool. That was kind of like a like a, almost like a special move. You know, yeah, it was it was like a Chucky bomb. They just kind of threw it at him. Yeah, and the visual was really cool too. When it, you know, it kind of um, changes to the IOI uh, war room. I, I think they call it, and everybody just dies. You know, you see Chucky taking taking them one by one. Um, another thing that uh, I really liked was the character of Irock. You know, the one that uh, T.J. Miller voiced. You know, for the longest time, I was like, I know that voice, and I couldn't figure it out. And I think it was it wasn't until like the the big fight, uh, epic fight scene, is is when I realized it was uh, T.J. Miller. But what I liked about Irock is, yeah, he was funny. You know, he had some you know some quips here and there. Um, but for the guy that is the heavy, he doesn't talk like he's extremely smart. You got to remember, these are people sitting at their homes playing avatars, right? So the look of Irock is really cool. His name, clearly somebody with a big ego, Irock. Come uh-huh. on. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I just like the way he spoke. He spoke like like a regular person just playing a video game. So he wasn't like an intelligent villain. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I just, I couldn't get past the fact that it was TJ Miller voicing him. Because when you first see him, you expect this big, deep voice guy. And then, oh. T.J. Miller, and all I think about is him in Deadpool and how he's going to be in Deadpool 2. Yeah, I, I was okay with that. Uh, what do you think of Sorrento's avatar? I don't know if it was me, but when they buff him up as his avatar, he kind of kind of looked a little bit like Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, there is um, there's a character that he reminds me of. I just can't place it right now. There's a variation of Hulk. Um, That's, that is Lou Ferrigno. He, he plays the 1970s Hulk. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about like the original TV series, mm. but there's a, a version of the Hulk where he's like a mob boss, and that's just who he reminded me of. I see. But he had the little Superman curl. Yeah, yeah, that really threw me off, too. Um, I don't know if they were going for that, but he definitely had the body type for a Superman. Maybe that's what they were going for, just a business outfit, Clark Kent. Yeah, that could have been it. Uh, did you catch Batman? I feel like there was a Batman in there. Yeah, so there's a Batman in the very beginning of the movie where you're like, hey, you can climb mountain with Batman. There was a Batman, um, like I said, in the Adam West mobile. Other than that, I think that was, those are the only times you could really see Batman. 
Yeah. So there's definitely a little bit something for everybody uh, that grew up around that era or that has an appreciation for that era. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I know we're not going to try to you know, get too far in depth. Uh, this is definitely one that's worth a, a few more watches to catch all of the Easter eggs in here. Yeah, not much to throw in there, just that it's a really fun watch and it's going to be a really fun time uh, searching for your own little Easter eggs throughout the movie. All right, so I think that's going to wrap it up for our instant review of here. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the movie as much as we did. Uh, for anybody that's a new listener and wants to check out more of, you know, my back catalog, again, you know, most of the movies that uh, we do here are, you know, 80s and 90s. And, you know, I'll sprinkle in some some newer releases, maybe stuff that I had missed that people, you know, recommend to me. Uh, I did start up a new group page. It's called Postalgic and Friends. So if you want to join that, um, you know, I'm going to post, I'm going to start posting every single episode I do because I do host at least four different shows. And, uh, you know, I'm one of the rotating guest hosts on two other podcasts. So I do a variety of stuff. But uh, if you want to join the group page, Paul Stouching and Friends, um, I'm there. It's a new group page. Okay. So um, there's that. If you want to interact with me on Instagram or Twitter, the handle is at Podstalgic. Uh, you can also find a lot of my other contents at CoreTenParts.com, uh, which is the podcast network that I'm affiliated with. So I want to thank you guys all for uh, checking out this episode. Hopefully this inspires you to go back and listen to some some of my older episodes. And uh, I want to thank Phoenix for joining in uh, last moment here. Yep, yep. Thank you very much. And, uh, and look forward to a... A review of Beetlejuice. You know, it's coming up on his 30th anniversary and Phoenix will be joining me in on that to kind of give his thoughts too to see if uh, this Tim Burton classic uh, holds up. So uh, that'll do it. Uh, thank you guys for listening and thank you guys for your support. See you guys next time. Adios. Listening to the Cortem Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Cortem Parts shows, visit cortemparts.com.